to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're going to finish this Bible study series called Living the Lord's Prayer. Living the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, we've been studying this now for almost three months, and it was only today that I realized there's a there's actually a well-known saying that illustrates what we're trying to get at with this series that we've been explaining, and that is putting feet to our prayers. Have you heard that one before? Putting feet to our prayers. We pray about something, but then we do something about it. And that really is the focus of this series, is that we don't just pray about things, but that we do what we can do to see that what we pray for is accomplished. And I've given a number of examples throughout the series. Let me just throw three real quick ones out there to make sure we're all on the same page. It means not just praying for God's will, but actively seeking it and doing it. It means not just praying that God send workers in the harvest, but that we're willing to be one of those workers. In a very practical way, it means not just praying that God would give us a job if we need one, but we look for one, and we apply for one, and we interview for one. We don't just sit at home twiddling our thumbs waiting for that phone call to just ring, you know. So doing something about what we pray about, okay? Tonight, we're going to wrap it up with the last phrase in the traditional rendering of the Lord's Prayer. The title is, Yours is the Kingdom, Power, and Glory. I know you recognize that. So we're going to, once again, for the last time in this series anyway, read the entire prayer. So we look in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So tonight we're focusing on that last phrase. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Interesting question. How many of you have a Bible or a Bible translation that that phrase is not in? How many of you have a Bible translation that it's not in the text, but it might be in a footnote at the bottom? Or maybe it's in brackets. Okay? But then others have, it's in there, right? It's like, what is that all about? We'll get to that. Well, I'll just go ahead and explain it now. This benediction, that's what they call it. We'll talk about what a benediction is in just a moment. Is not listed in all translations because it is not found in the oldest manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, what we have as scripture is based upon thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts. And you hear people, I'm just going to give you this little insight here because I don't want you to have any kind of doubt. You hear people talk about, well, we can't really know that we really have God's word because there's been so many mistakes down through the years and things have been left out, things have been put in, and all that kind of stuff. There are over 5,000 manuscripts of the various books of the New Testament that go all the way back to within a couple hundred years of when they were written. That seems like a long time. But you have to understand that most of the secular history that we have from that same time period and even up to a 1,000 years later 
that we look at as this is settled for sure history is based on maybe a couple of manuscripts written in Latin or Greek or whatever the language might be. The great Greek philosophers, there are very, very little um, actual manuscripts that come even close to the time when they were written. But we have thousands of the New Testament. And so the way we come at, the way Bible scholars come at the texts that we have is they look at all these thousands of manuscripts and they compare them. And there are very, very slight differences between them sometimes. Sometimes there's a difference of one word. Sometimes there's a punctuation thing that's a little bit different for those that have punctuation. Okay. In this case, there are some manuscripts that have this phrase, but the oldest manuscripts, which you would think are probably more accurate, don't have it. So some translations choose to leave it out and put it in a footnote because it has great uh, support throughout church history, even though it's not in the early ma- earliest manuscripts. Some put it in the text, some put it in the footnotes, some don't put it in at all. But the point is that everything that's in this benediction is totally and completely supported by biblical principle, and it has been used in the history of the church all the way back until about two, 300 A.D., so it has a great history in church history. So we're going to study it based on all of those facts, okay? If that caused any kind of confusion or raised any questions, feel free to talk to me about it later. But let me just wrap up that part of it by saying that we can have tremendously great confidence in the text of God's word, both Old Testament and New Testament, because the little things I told you might be a little bit different, not a single one of them affects doctrine in any way. They're usually just a little misspelling or a little something. Somebody, when they copied it, they just misspelled it a little bit or something like that. Okay. And if you are interested in doing a little bit more research in that, I've got a really great little booklet that's in a PDF format that I can even email to you and you can read it and it'll give you great confidence in the scriptures that we have. Okay. So we're studying this passage. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This uh, section, this phrase, this statement is called a benediction and it's also called a doxology because it's both. Anybody know what a benediction is? What? A blessing. Yeah. It's a short invocation for help, blessing, or guidance from God. A benediction is often referred to in religious or spiritual situations when you get to the end of a service, you know, and there's a prayer. The prayer can be actually be a benediction, but there's that blessing. May God bless you as you go. You know, just quick statements like that. Okay, um, the one that's in the Old Testament, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's a benediction. It's a blessing that's pronounced over or asked for someone. It's also called a doxology because it is a doxology. Does anybody know what a doxology is? <laughs> Not really, but yes, yeah, similar. Yeah. A doxology is basically a formula of praise to God. Um, usually referring to, y'all look on your note sheets. This is on your note sheet, but you can write it on there. Okay. It's basically a formula of praise to God that's used in a formal way, like in a prayer. All right. If you go to a church, and probably many of you have been to churches, they have a very much of a liturgical type um, service where they have a lot of things that they may say together, pray together, repeat together. Okay. Um, those statements that they do together that are in praise to God are doxologies. So both of the, this this statement is both of those. It's a benediction and it is a doxology. And it was very, very common in the early church. And many Bible scholars believe that it was inspired by the passage I have on your note sheet, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. I want to read that to you. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. And what the context of this is that David wanted to build a temple for God. 
made all kinds of plans, and the prophet says, nope. God says, you're not the one to build it, but you prepare for it. Your son Solomon's going to build it. So David got all excited. He gave a ton of resources, gold, silver, precious stones, built up stockpiles of wood and all this other kind of stuff. And he asked all of his leaders to give a bunch of money, to be an example to the people, to give a bunch of resources so that when Solomon stepped in, he could build that temple. And when all this great offering was gathered together, they were so excited about what God was going to do that David had this prayer of praise. And this is what he said. It says, therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So you can see that this very short statement at the end of the Lord's Prayer is basically David's thoughts condensed (laughs) into just a couple of short phrases. I just wanted to give you that background because I thought it was really, really interesting. So let's jump in and talk about this particular Um, phrase at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And each week we've been asking these four questions. We're still going to ask two of them, but we're going to change it up just a little bit, okay? First of all, I want to talk about the purpose of this benediction. Um, The first bullet point this is this benediction is an expression of worship. It's an expression of worship. When Jesus teaches us to pray, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's an expression of worship. We'll talk about how that is true when we get to each one of these statements. But what does worship mean? This is kind of going over old territory, basic stuff. What is worship? Exalting is another word for worship. What else? Did somebody say praise? Praise is a form of worship. Adoration is a form of worship. Worship really comes from the English word worth-ship. That which is worth something and you express that. That's in general, okay? When it comes to God, God is worth something, okay? And we express his worth, his value, his awesomeness, okay? And that includes adoration and praise and exaltation. As we had the sermon series at the beginning of the year, it also includes, you know, serving him. It includes surrendering to him. It includes giving to him. All those things are acts of worship. Worship basically just means recognizing and expressing God's value, expressing his worth, usually to him, but to one another. That's worship too. So the benediction is an expression of worship, and we're going to look at each phrase and see how this is an expression of worship. But it's also an expression of surrender. And again, we'll look at that, how it applies to each statement in a minute. But what does it mean to surrender? To give up. To give up what? Give up power. Okay, whatever power we have, we turn it over. Any thoughts that come to mind about what surrender is? Chris? Can cost us something. Yeah, Jesus in calling his disciples says, you may lose your life for my sake. Okay, and you need to be willing to do so to follow me. And that would be an act of surrender, wouldn't you? Give up, you know, control of your life, even if it means that you might have to give your life. So to surrender means to yield to the possession or power of another, okay? To yield, to give up, all right? So I wanted to clarify that because we're going to be applying that to this. Now, before we jump into these three phrases, notice that each one says, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. 
We started off this series by talking, series by talking about how almost every phrase that talks about us doesn't say me, mine, or I. It says our, us, that we're a group. So on the flip side, what do you think is indicated here when it talks about your? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the king, uh, power. What? That we're focused totally and completely on God as opposed to who? Us. All right. Now, do we ever get worried about our kingdoms? Uh, yeah. Do we ever get worried about our power and strength and authority? Do we ever get worried about our glory? Do we ever not? <laughs> and that's what this is really all about. I got this quote here from a book by Ken Hemphill called The Prayer of Jesus. He says, we humans are prone to worry more about our kingdoms place undue trust in our power, and gravitate towards situations and positions where we get the glory. And so this phrase is meant to totally change that around. Okay, so let's look at each one of them individually. Yours is the kingdom. So Jesus says this phrase, to wrap up the prayer, yours is the kingdom. How can this phrase, or how is this phrase an expression of worship? Yours is the kingdom. Expressing allegiance to God, okay? Marissa, it's a confirmation the kingdom is his and not ours. So it's giving God his due for his authority, his rule, his kingship. All right, great comments. Any other comments about how yours is the kingdom is an expression of worship? All those things are definitely true. As always, and like the other lessons, what I give you on your note sheet is just the things I came up with. It doesn't mean it's exhaustive or anything like that. What I have here is we worship God because he is king. And he has granted us the privilege to be his subjects. So yours is the kingdom. When we recognize and we're willing to admit and submit to the fact that it's God's kingdom that's most important, that's an act of worship because we say, God, it's your kingdom. You're the king. You're in control. Okay? And it's a privilege for us to be your subjects. Luke chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's a privilege. In what way is it a privilege to be in the kingdom of God? What? Okay, protection, which would be one of the benefits, right? So protection is specific, but I want to go with the benefits. It's a privilege to be in God's kingdom because of the benefits we get. Protection is one of the benefits. What are some other benefits that we get from being in God's kingdom? Everlasting life. That kind of trumps all of them, doesn't it, Tim? <laughs> it kind of includes all the rest of them. Chris? Okay, yeah, there have been many kings and queens on the world, in the world, on the earth, and no matter how much power, authority, rule, and reign, and area that they covered, it doesn't even begin to compare to God and to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it is a privilege because of the benefits. But not only that, um, I think it's a privilege because we don't deserve it. You know, anything that we get that we don't deserve is a privilege, and we don't deserve to be in the kingdom of God. But Jesus made it possible. So because of the um, because of the fact that we don't deserve it, we get it anyway, and the great benefits, um, it's a privilege. 
Okay, so yours is the kingdom. It's an expression of worship. How is yours is the kingdom an expression of surrender? What'd you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not ours. It belongs to him. And if we say, you are king, and I'm in your kingdom, we're basically saying, okay, God, I give up my rights, right? Yeah. But if we're willing to recognize that he truly is king and our king, then we surrender any authority that we have that's in conflict with his. Um, we recognize that he's king and we're not, even though we often like to think we are. <laughs> okay? I mean, it's his kingdom, not ours. We're here for him. He is not here for us. You know, sometimes we can be guilty of kind of acting like our own king and God's our servant. All right? We'd never do that deliberately. We'd probably never say that out loud. But we can be guilty of doing that sometimes if we're not careful. We serve him and do his will because he's worthy, because he is Lord God, our king. So two of the questions we have been dealing with in making this statement of saying yours is the kingdom, how should that impact the way I pray and what I pray for? If the kingdom is God's, how should that impact the way we pray or what we pray for? Tim? We'd be desirous of doing his will. Yes. And, you know, we prayed earlier in the prayer, Lord, your will be done and your kingdom come on earth. That's one of the reasons I dropped the first two questions, because most of the things we're going to talk about tonight, we already talked about in the previous lesson in an earlier part of the prayer. All right. So this impacts the way we pray because we say, Lord, your kingdom. All right. We should be praying about what's important to him, praying about what's important to his kingdom. What is his will? If he's the king, we should obey him, right? On your note sheet, I put it this way. We pray, God, may I further your kingdom and not mine today. I have today at the end of each of these examples because it's something we need to remember every single day. Get up in the morning and it's like, okay, well, we've got things we got to do, very valid things to do. We got to go to work, go to school, got to do what we got to do. Um, you know, carry out our responsibilities as all well and good. God gives us those responsibilities. But in the midst of that, we need to be willing to say, God, I've got my plans. I'd kind of like to make my kingdom, my area of responsibility a little stabler, and that's not a bad thing. But help me to be focused primarily on your kingdom. And if I'm going to build anything, may it be your kingdom and not mine. Okay. Now, the good news is, is in building God's kingdom, he wants our areas of responsibility to be stable and all that kind of stuff for the most part. But we're focused on him, his desires, not us and our desires. And so that impacts just about everything we pray for. If we're praying for somebody else, God, may your kingdom influence be at work in their life. Not just what I want for them. May what you want for them happen. Not just what I want for them. All right. And then the last question we've been dealing with each week is how should this impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? As we recognize and are willing to pray, yours is the kingdom, how does that impact the way we live? Or how should it impact the way we live? Be humble, okay. That affects our attitude, yep. Definitely, that goes to the next thing, yours is the power, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, we need to be humble. How else should it affect the way we live? Recognizing that we live for God's kingdom, how does that affect the way we live? Exactly. It's not just our words, it's our actions. The whole basis of this series. We don't just pray, Lord, you're king, you're the kingdom, so Lord, may your kingdom... But we do 
what needs to be done in response to the fact that he's the king. On your note sheet, I put it this way. We live our lives to build God's kingdom, not our own. The prayer is, Lord, may I further your kingdom or build your kingdom, not mine. But it's not just words, it's actions. As we go through our life, again, we carry out our responsibilities and their God-given responsibilities to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, to, 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 to be the head of a home or, 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 or to do, fulfill our responsibility at work. And God wants us to do a good job at work. He wants us to do the best job we can at work. But in the midst of all that, our focus is not just building our own kingdom, but whatever we do, we want to build God's kingdom. Yes, Bert. Doing what's pleasing to the will of God. That's right. Yeah. What does that look like, though, in everyday life? Can you think of any examples? We say, well, I need to go through life and work on building God's kingdom. That sounds well and good, but what does that mean in real life? Can you think of any examples? Okay, honoring each other. Okay, and our relationships. We build his kingdom when we do what the king says we should do in our relationships with each other. Okay. And can you think of other examples of what it means to actually live out trying to build God's kingdom? Another one would be as we look at our priorities and we rearrange our priorities about what's most important. It's not to say, well, what's most important to me, but what's most important to God? Of all the things that I need to get done today or whatever, what is important to God? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole other area of teaching that fits right in here is that we're just stewards. Everything we have and everything that we are really belongs to God, and we are just managers. We're stewards. And so we do with our resources what God would want us to do. Exactly. Let's go on to the second one. Yours is the power. So you get yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. How is that statement an expression of worship? What is tied up in that statement? Yours is the power. How does that become an expression of worship? But wouldn't that be more the kingdom? I said, wouldn't that be more the kingdom, the jurisdiction? There's an overlap there. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Yeah, the kingdom is wherever God's power is manifested. So they're very much tied together. In fact, all three of them are tied together. Yeah. How else might a recognition of yours as the power be an expression of worship? Okay, so we depend more on his resources than our own. Does that summarize pretty much what you were saying? Okay, yeah. Keeping in mind that whatever resources we have, he's given us. Doesn't mean we have to ignore the resources we have, but we are dependent upon him, okay? And and, and that is also a recognition that everything we have comes from him too. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we're dependent upon God for everything, right? Power, strength, whatever it is that we need. What? Justice, yeah. That's right. On your note sheet, I have it this way. Our worship, of yours is the power being an expression of worship. We affirm that he has all power, and we praise him for how he has used it on our behalf. That's another way that this statement can be an act of worship. It's like, God, you are so powerful, and I see where your power was at work in my life. First of all, you saved me, okay? And you helped me get through a rough day, and you helped me with this situation. You provided for that. Anything that God has done for us through his power... We express that back to him. Lord, it's your power. You're, you're the only reason I can live and move and have my being and, and all that. That becomes an act of worship. And we're recognizing yours is the power. How is yours is the power an expression of surrender? We can't do it ourselves. 
It's a recognition that God, whatever strength that I have, you've given it to me, but in and of myself, I can't do it. So I'm dependent on you. So I am surrendering this situation to you. Give me your power. I desperately need it. And so it's an act of surrender. On your note sheet, I have this. We recognize that we cannot serve God in our own strength, and so we depend on his. So the statement, yours is the power, is that recognition. God, I can't do what you've called me to do by myself. I've got to have your strength, and I'm dependent on it. We desperately need God's strength. We, we can't succeed. We really can't succeed as Christians without the strength that God provides. Okay? But you know, sometimes we don't really understand that power, and sometimes we don't take advantage of it. I think that there are times that God makes power available to us, and we still muddle along and struggle. And, and I know there's going to be difficult times even with God's power, but we muddle along a whole lot more than we need to because we don't take advantage of the power that he makes available to us. I heard an old story one time about this this um, this 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 um, old Indian who struck some oil and he got some money and he bought himself a Cadillac. He was so proud of that Cadillac. And he decided to ride into town in that Cadillac and show off his Cadillac. So he's sitting in that Cadillac and it's going down the street. The only thing is the Cadillac's being pulled by two horses. Because that's what he's used to. That's a silly, probably totally made up story. But the point being, he had a whole lot more horsepower under that hood. But his daddy had the Cadillac, but he was pulled by horses. And you know, we can be guilty of the same thing. You know, trying to do things in our own strength instead of the strength that God provides. Um, I like the way this says, like him, we're sometimes guilty of hitching our Christianity up to the power of flesh instead of drawing on the power of God. Now, the other thing is, is that when God does work through his power in our lives, we need to be, we need to recognize it's God's power, it's not mine. You know, it's not me. Same person I heard that story from, uh, they said it's sort of like an ant riding on the elephant's ear who said to the elephant, boy, we sure are shaking the ground. No, it's the elephant. You know, in the same way, when God works in and through us, we've got to recognize, no, it's not me. It's God. It's God. His, it's his power. Okay? But the main thing is, is don't be too proud to ask God for his help. Okay? So, the fact that yours is the power, how should that impact the way that I pray? And what do I pray for? Any thoughts? Recognizing that God has the power we need, how does that affect the way we pray? Don't make it more complicated than it is. Okay, pray that we will not be proud of either how his power works in us or too proud to ask for his help. Fits both ways, doesn't it? Pray in confidence that he will answer our prayers. Yeah, Carlton. Okay, so recognizing in our prayers, thanking him for the power he provides. That affects our prayers too, yeah. Barissa, did you have your hand up? No? So I have on my note sheet, again, not that this is the most important, this is just what came to me. We pray, God, may I make use of your power, not just my own today. I like that old prayer. I don't have it in my notes, but it just came to me. I, I've shared it before, so you may remember it. You know, the guy that that uh, he's praying, and he says, God, this has been a great day. All day long so far, I haven't been grouchy. I've had plenty of strength. I've not argued with anybody. I've not lost my temper. But Lord, in a few minutes, I got to get out of bed and get ready for work. So would you help me to be that way the rest of the day? Yeah, so anyway, um, 
praying, God, I need your help today. You know, I don't even know what I'm going to face. I pray that almost every morning. When I wake up in the morning, it's like, Lord, thank you for the sleep I got last night, whether it was good or not. You know, thank you for the sleep. Thank you for this new day. I know some of the stuff I'm going to face today. I don't know everything, but God, I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help. Help me be loving. Help me be patient. You know, help me to get a lot done because I really need to, you know, but help me to do what you want me to do. But I'm going to need your help, your wisdom, your insight, your direction to be able to do that. So we pray, God, help me to make use of your power, not just my own today. And as far as the way we live, it basically is just applying that. We live our lives dependent on God's promised power, not just our perceived strength. That takes some faith. Because we may look at a certain thing in our lives saying, wait a minute, why is that there? And God says, because I want you to take care of that. And we're like, I can't. And God's saying, you're right, but I can through you. And so you're going to have to use some faith to say, okay, God, you've called me to do that. You've called me to obey you in this area where I've failed you so many times. You've called me to treat that other person in a way that's really tough because of the way they treat me. Or God, you called me to, to walk in obedience in this situation. Or God, you've called me to step out and maybe talk to that person. And I don't think I've got the right words or whatever. And God says, that's okay. And so we pray, God, help me to do what you want me to do in your power, not my own. And then we decide to step out and do it. If we only do what we think we're capable of, we'll be held way back from what God wants to do in and through us. So we live our lives dependent on God's promised power, not our own perceived strength. The third and last of these three statements, yours is the glory. What What does glory mean? What does glory mean? Are these one of those words? It's like I kind of get a general idea, but to put it in words, what does glory mean? It's a statement of God's power. Okay. Accolades. Okay. To give glory means to give accolades. It can be it's closely tied to praise and worship too. Yeah. Any other thoughts about what glory is? It's what. Okay, so how's that tied to glory? You don't want glory for yourself. Okay, so in relationship to other people, okay, we're not talking about God there, but in relationship to other people, we're willing to give other people credit instead of taking it all for ourselves. It applies to God too, by the way. Okay, all right, we're going to get into that. Um, the definition of glory in the dictionary, one of them anyway, is magnificence or great beauty. In other words, awesomeness wonderfulness, and God is ultimately that. In a biblical sense or spiritual sense, it describes God's obvious presence with is magnificent or great or beauteous or whatever, and it indicates worth and value, which goes back to the idea of worship, which you said, Theo. Okay? So when we say yours is the glory, how does that become an expression of worship? What? Because he's all this in a bag of chips. Yeah, I mean, that's almost too simple. Because if we're giving God's glory, that is worship, right? When we recognize that God deserves all the glory, that by definition is worship, okay? Huh? Yeah, yeah, we confess what we believe about him, how we regard him. On your note sheet, I just had it this way, we worship him because he is glorious and he's worthy of praise. Lord, we say, you you know, yours is the glory. It's like, Lord, yours is the glory, so I'm giving it to you, all right? I'm giving it to you. 
Now, how, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit more we got to think about. How is the statement, yours is the glory, an expression of surrender? It's so much easier for me to look over there. There's more people over here. I'm not ignoring you guys on this side, I promise. How is the statement, yours is the glory, an expression of surrender? Mm-hmm. Okay, but what's that got to do with glory? Just asking you to clarify. Okay, by recognizing that he is the glorious one, he's the ultimate one, that by its, in itself is an act of surrender because we're not holding that to ourselves. Okay, we're putting ourselves, we're putting ourselves in our place. Not to use your, use my words, but that's, yeah, that works. John. Yeah, it's, it's a recognition of humility, or it's an expression of humility. God, you deserve the glory, not me. I don't deserve the glory, you do. And that becomes an act of surrender. Because inside we think we deserve a little bit anyway. <laughs> right? Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, think of all the things and people that the world looks at as glorious and gives glory to, gives credit to, gives whatever to, and compared to God, it's nothing. Very shallow, very meaningless, eternally speaking. On your note sheet, I have this. We surrender our desire to get the credit so that God gets all the glory. I heard this statement one time. It says, it's kind of not fair. Whenever things go really, really good, God gets all the credit and all the glory. When things get go really, really bad, I get all the blame. But the problem is, is it's true, right? I mean, because if it doesn't do good, it's not God's fault. If things fall apart, it's not God's fault. It's usually because of what we've done. But when things go right or they're good, it's only because God's actively at work in our lives. So as servants of Christ, we should not seek to exalt ourselves. Rather, we should always point to Christ. Okay? So how does this impact the way I pray and what I pray for? Let me just give you this because we're getting close to the end. We pray, God, may I bring glory to you and not myself in everything I do and say today. And I don't know about you, this is a struggle for me. I have a feeling if we're going to be honest, it's a struggle for all of us. We want to be recognized because our sense of worth and our sense of value is all tied to whether people think we're important. And so we want people to think we're important. So we want to get credit for what we've done. And that's not necessarily bad in and of itself, but when we keep trying to pull credit and praise and whatever to ourselves, we get proud. You know, humility is in here a lot. And we don't give it to God. You know, a really great example are these special services that we're going to be having over the next couple of weeks. We don't know what all God's going to do. We're praying for great things. We're believing for great things. God moves in a powerful way. His spirit comes down. People's lives are touched. People come to know Jesus Christ, whatever. And whatever those results are, if any one person, pastor, leader, kind of points at themselves, well, like, it's my idea, you know, whatever, whatever, and, you know, that would be wrong. God gets all the glory, right? So how does this impact the way I live? We just apply what we just said we're going to pray. We live in such a way that God gets credit for all the good that is in our lives. Live in such a way. Now, how do you do that? Do you hang a sign around your neck, say, any good that I'm doing, it's all because of God? No, that'd be kind of silly and whatever. But we try our best to do what we do for the glory of God in an unobtrusive way or whatever way God makes it available that we let them. It's because of God. 
his work and his power in my life. You know, I wrestle with that as a pastor when somebody comes to me after a sermon or a Bible say, hey, pastor, that was a really good sermon. I said, well, thank you. I, you know, I pray it's God at work in me and through me. You know, you try to balance it all out. I mean, I'm the one that preached and I did study, but it's God. You know, you don't need false humility, but you don't need to take it to yourself. I'm, yes, Bert. That's right. We're doing it for God. That whatever we do, we do it for God and for his glory and not our own. I'm sure there's been plenty of pastors and other people who do godly spiritual things that look wonderful on the outside, but they're really doing it for their own glory. And those are the kind of things that will be revealed at the end of time. And rewards or lack of rewards will come as a result of motivation, not just what was said and done. Okay? Matthew 5.16, Jesus said this, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. In other words, whatever good we do, we should try to the best of our ability to do it in such a way that God gets the glory, not us. Okay? All right, so, conclusion. We are called to seek God's kingdom, to pray for his power, and to desire his glory to be made known. I I just kind of summarize this in a statement. God's plans with God's power for God's glory. And, you know, really, this benediction, this doxology, this short little statement summarizes the whole prayer. You could almost just pray this statement in all the ways it could be applied, and you'd cover everything else. God, I want to recognize that you're God, you're king. I'm going to be surrendered to you. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to do what you want me to do. I know because you're king and I'm serving, you're going to provide for all my needs. And Lord, to do all that, I can't do it by myself. I need your help. So I want to be dependent upon your power and make your power be actively at work in me and through me to do things in the world. And Lord, in that process, may you get all the glory. Just about any and every prayer request you can think of fits within that framework. Two last thoughts and we're done. It requires a release. What we've been talking about, surrender. We surrender everything. It's like, you know what, God? I just give it to you. It's your power. It's your kingdom. It's your glory. I'm surrendering it all to you. So to live this way, to pray this way, it means i got to release it all to God. But the second thing is really cool. It brings a relief. We can have a great discussion about this, but we don't have any time. How does living this way and praying this way bring a relief? Because it's about his kingdom, not mine. I don't have to scheme and plan and figure it all out. I don't have to be self-sufficient. I just do what God tells me to do. It's all about his power and not mine. I don't have to do it all in my strength. I don't have to be all powerful. I just got to lean on Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things meaning whatever God wants me to do. And then if it's all about God's glory, not mine, I don't have to depend upon what other people think of me for my self-worth. It's like, God, I'm just going to live for you, do what you want me to do, and you get all the glory. So God's plans with God's power for God's glory. And that wraps up 12 lessons on the Lord's Prayer and how we not only pray it, but how we seek to live it. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for your help looking at your word, drawing out truths, Lord God, that illustrate your awesomeness, but also, Lord, how we pray and how we live in submission to you as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for the strength that you give. We all need it. We all ask for it, Lord God. And Father, help us all, Lord, as we fight against our flesh and our ego, desiring for credit and for glory, that we're always pointing people to you and not to ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 